I'm up here if anybody wants it. What a special day. Oh, what a special day. There is a benediction that I love, and it's out of Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. And I actually want us to begin this time of moving toward being in Scripture together and also toward the end of the service saying the Scripture together. And maybe even you will memorize it. So say it with me now. I think it's up on the screen. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There was a group of people about this big, maybe 30 or so less, but 120 people gathered in one room, probably not as big as this. They say it was a house. I don't know how a house would have held 120 people. That's how many people there were. And I want us to kind of climb into what was going on inside them as they were waiting for Pentecost. As you heard in the story that Allison read so well, they had experienced, not that long ago, the horrifying crucifixion of Jesus. And they had just a few days to absorb that reality. And I want you to think about what kind of trauma that left on their hearts and souls. To see that the powers of the empire could actually do that, the worst death probably ever invented that was inflicted on someone as innocent, as holy as Jesus. How frightening would that be that they could get away with that? So they're holding that trauma. And then they actually experience Jesus alive. We are told for 40 days, Jesus appears to them in different ways. And so think about that. What was it like for them to experience the other extreme? That Jesus wasn't dead anymore, that he's alive. I bumped into someone at the car wash and was saying, asking the question I always ask, how are things going in your world? And this person said, well, my dad actually died three weeks ago. I was like, oh. And then he said, but our son just graduated from Emory and he just got an internship at Yale. And I was like, whoa, all happening in the same period of time. Extremes. The extremes, just want you to kind of try on the extremes that, that these 120 people have been through as they're in this room together. They'd also experienced Jesus ascending. He had gathered them out on a mountain, given them instructions, told them to wait here to receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, and then he disappeared up into heaven. So they've just had that experience. So imagine what it was like to carry all these things. The trauma of the crucifixion. The unbelievable reality of Jesus alive. Seeing him ascend into heaven. And then being told to wait there. Now keep in mind, as they're in this room, they don't live in Jerusalem. They're not from Jerusalem. They're Galileans. So that would have been a hardship, right? They're already out of town, they're not in their home turf, and they're told to stay. 
and to wait until the promise of God comes. Now that you have this kind of sense of what they've been through the last couple of weeks, I want you to think about what they were praying for as they waited and prayed. Maybe they were praying for Jesus to come back because they had seen Jesus disappear into heaven and right after that there were some angels that told them why are you looking up into heaven he's going to come back in the same way that you saw him go so maybe that's what they're praying for praying for jesus to come back that had just happened by the way he was dead and he came back well the one thing we know that they asked for was that they were praying and asking jesus is this going to be the time that israel will be restored they wanted Israel, once again, to be a nation, a powerful and prosperous nation again. Willie James Jennings, in his commentary on Acts, he says this about this really important question that they asked Jesus. The disciples ask the nationalist question, when will we rule our land and become self-determining? Nationalist desire easily creates a fantasy of resurrection, and the fantasy of resurrection appeals to peoples, calling forth a triumphal vision of a nation that rises from death and is filled with conquerors and the powerful. Such fantasy dreams are completely understandable and quite compelling because they help us cope with the vulnerability that is creaturely life, and they reflect the power of accumulated wounds. The greater the number of wounds inflicted on a people, the greater the fantasy dreams of being self-determined and wielding power over others and power to control our own destiny. This is being carried in this group of people. Israel, they are people who have been wounded and oppressed generation upon generation. So they have this longing and this prayer, which I think is something that's helpful for us to be mindful of in our own era of rising nationalism around the world, understandable and compelling. As birth rates are dropping in many countries, there's this huge influx of refugees, immigrants, cultures are threatened. It's the only prayer request we know about. But as we ask the question, what were they praying for? I think it's also helpful for us to remember that everybody in that room had been taught to pray the Psalms. They had been taught words that helped them remember God's saving acts, God's mighty deeds, God as creator, God as deliverer out of slavery in Egypt, God who brought the law on Mount Sinai, who made a covenant with them. In fact, they're in between Passover and Pentecost. Passover, celebrating God's deliverance from Egypt, and 50 days later, Penta, Pentecost, which is the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Of course, they would have had the same concerns we have if we were in a room waiting and praying. Perhaps we would be praying about our concerns that we have for our relationships, our families, our health, our livelihood, our future. They were people just like us. So what were they praying for? This group of 120 people, men and women, all ages. Well, they were praying for a long time. I want you to know that. 
because Pentecost means 50 days after Passover. We were told Jesus had been appearing to them for 40 days, so you subtract the three days between when he died and rose again. That means they were praying for a week. They didn't know how long they were going to be in that room. They're waiting and praying, waiting and praying. That's a long time. I remember at our dinner, our Youth Mexico dinner this last spring, we had this really fun sharing exercise that the high school students created. And one of the questions was, if you could teach on anything for 20 minutes, what would it be? I thought, golly, I don't know. They were saying things like soccer and different kinds of stuff. And I thought, I could, I could teach on prayer. I could teach on prayer for 20 minutes. But I don't know about praying for a week. Waiting and praying, I mean, how many times can you go through the Psalms? How many times can you go through the Lord's Prayer in a week? After a while, it'd be like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. I don't have anything else to pray. And maybe that's exactly what God wanted. They were emptied. That was it. They didn't know. So that's the context. Acts chapter 2. Listen to God's word to you. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're just filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, he raised his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. So that's the promise. 
After all that praying and all that waiting, the promise arrives. And do you think it was what they were praying for? Do you think it was what they were asking for? I don't know. I think I'm looking for my page one is what I'm thinking. Now I'm looking for my page two. I think what happened was amazing, and it was astonishing, and those are the words that you keep hearing in this text. But I want to ask, what do you think was the most amazing part? And when you hear those words used in the passage, what they're referring to when they talk about being amazed is the fact that these Galileans could speak these languages, the languages of every nation, in their own mother tongue. And it wasn't just speaking in tongues, like that ecstatic speech that we hear about in other experiences of the Holy Spirit. These are real languages. Fifteen nations are named here. And they are from all over the Roman Empire. I think we have a slide showing a map. I'm not sure you can tell. This picture is kind of small. But not only in the Roman Empire, but outside of the Roman Empire, and Cretans and Arabs. And the point is, even though it's not literally every nation under heaven, it is all flesh, all people. So the abundantly more than all we could ask or imagine was the Spirit facilitating this miraculous translation of God's love for all flesh in their own languages. Now there's something very intimate, isn't there? And something very reassuring to hear someone speak to you in your own language. It was not that long ago that we had our visitors from Guatemala, and they would always arrive first for worship, which was a little awkward for the rest of us because nobody could speak Spanish and they could not speak English. And there's only so much you can do with Google Translate, right? And there's something about speaking a language which isn't just about what communicates information, it's about the culture, it's about actually knowing that person, who you are. So we were so grateful when Nora would show up, who's from Guatemala, or Vicky would show up, Vicky Diaz. So what does this mean? The question is asked in this passage, what does it mean that the most amazing and astonishing and bewildering part of this is that God's spirit comes upon them and gives this miraculous translation into the mother tongue? of all the people that are gathered there from all over the earth. Does it mean that we are supposed to be learning a language? Tina Torres, some of you know her, she used to attend worship here occasionally from Latinos Unidos. She has since retired, she's a pastor, she has gotten married and she and her husband are going to volunteer for Wycliffe translators and move to Oaxaca, Mexico in order to translate scripture into the indigenous language of the people there. So they need to be there, right? To really know the people, know the culture, and to know how to actually take the word of God and translate it into their language. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Is that what this passage means? The question comes up, doesn't it? What does this mean? They're asking, and Peter gets up to answer it because many people there are scoffing. They're sneering over what has happened. But there's others who really want to know. What does this mean? And Peter basically is saying, this has always been God's intention. In the biblical story, to translate the intimacy of God's love 
to all flesh, God coming to where we are, speaking to us in our mother tongue, in that intimacy, in that humility. So the full answer, actually, to what does this mean can be seen in the whole rest of the book of Acts. If you stand on the balcony of this book, the Spirit of God keeps moving the disciples out of their very comfortable and familiar worlds, breaking down barrier after barrier to go into Samaria, the land of the heretics, to go to the coach and the chariot of an Ethiopian. Keep going to the Gentiles, to the women. Women become leaders. Slaves become leaders. So the whole book starts with Jerusalem at the center, and at the end, Rome is at the center. God's Spirit keeps moving them out across boundaries. God's love to all people, all flesh, in their mother tongue. But still the question, what does this mean for us? Are we supposed to be traveling somewhere? Learning another language? Maybe. But I don't think that's what it necessarily means. You don't have to travel anywhere to experience God's work taking us out of our very comfortable, protected worlds, across boundaries, experiencing this miraculous translation of moving towards someone else and meeting them where they are. Lisa Genova talking about people with Alzheimer's. They still have emotions, she said. They still can be in relationship. But you need to meet them where they are you can still speak the language of love and touch and smile and music. You can still cross that boundary instead of expecting them to come to your world of data and current events, you move to theirs. I will tell you what this means for me right now and the way the Spirit of God is challenging, moving me, Years ago, one of the pastors in my covenant group of pastors, she and her husband are both pastors, actually, and they talked about how their daughter had revealed to them that she was trans. She was transgender and was trying to figure out what that meant for her and was asking them to use different language as they spoke about her, different pronouns like they and them. And as she was sharing this with a group of pastors, I remember at the time thinking that totally doesn't make sense. How do you talk about an individual using plural language? And to be honest with you, I was somewhat dismissive and it just didn't make sense to me. And years later, as more people, and many of you are way ahead of me on this, have helped me understand that there is a way that we create a safe place and meet people where they are by actually saying our own pronouns for instance, I would say, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Which pronouns work for you? And that creates an opening. It creates a space. It creates room for people to know that you are humbly coming and meeting them where they are. I would not do this because there's a mandate for me to do this to be politically correct. These things we're talking about, this miraculous translation of God's love for all flesh, 
is not something we do like a prerequisite in high school, you have to take two years of French. It's not that. It's a zeal. It's a zeal planted within us. And it is the zeal of God's love that is fluent in people and wants to meet people where they are in Jesus Christ and speak their language. The disciples, when they were sent out, it wasn't, oh, I'd like to speak Arabic because I wanted to travel to that part of the world anyway. No, it was just this movement of God. They wanted to go to all peoples and meet them in their mother tongue. So I always like to think about when I'm preaching, where is the good news in this? Where is the good news in this? The disciples actually asked for Israel and the kingdom of Israel to be restored. And it looks like the opposite is what happened. Instead of the kingdom of Israel being restored, they really were sent out in every uncomfortable direction possible. Those verses in Ephesians 3 that you will do abundantly far more than we could possibly ask or think, I bet they were expecting better news than what they got. But Israel is restored. And I think there's two ways that this is absolutely good news for us. And the first is that this is the way God comes to us. This is the way God has met us, right where we are. Not waiting for us to come to God first. God not walled within the Trinity, but coming to earth in Jesus Christ. God coming to the church and people in the church coming to you. There was a couple when I was 15 and 16 years old that came out of their own age group and hung out with high school students. They came out of their own interests and they came to my high school and watched me play tennis horribly. They met me and they spoke the fluency, the, the amazing, miraculous translation of God's love meeting me intimately, humbly, where I was. This is how God comes to us. One reason this is good news. The other reason that this is good news is that this isn't something we drum up in us. This is not something that we say, oh my gosh, I need to be reaching out and getting out of my walled, comfortable, familiar, hetero world and I just need to go there with gritted teeth. No. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do abundantly far more than all we ask and think. This is a power that comes inside us and gives us that zeal gives us that love it's not just a gift there's you know of people that are really good at languages they learn languages like that this is not just for people that have a gift for languages and then you're thinking well there's people that are extroverts i'm an extrovert one of my top five strengths is connector i like to see all things connected so maybe you're thinking that this is just for people that are good at that no this is the spirit of Jesus himself filling us like a fire and moving us out of our walled worlds, whatever they are, and filling us with the fluency of God's love for all flesh. All flesh. All flesh. I think of Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen, a Dutch priest, 
He died in 1996. He was just a beloved writer and teacher, speaker. He taught pastoral theology at schools like the University of Notre Dame and Yale Divinity School and Harvard Divinity School. Brilliant guy, but he really knew how to bring the gospel right to where you were to communicate God's love. And yet, interestingly enough, he wrestled with God's love. He had such a hard time believing it for himself. Well, he was really good friends with Jean Vanier, who's the founder of the La Arche Communities. They knew one another from Yale Divinity School, <clears throat> I mean Harvard Divinity School. And that La Arche Communities are places where community is formed with those who have profound intellectual and developmental disabilities with those who don't. They're amazing communities, and Beth Goddard is actually researching and getting one started in the Bay Area. Well, so Vanier invited Henry Nouwen to go visit the first one in France, and Henry Nouwen went, and it changed his life. And eventually, he left Harvard Divinity School, this protected and walled community of academia, and he moved into Daybreak, a large community in Toronto, and he was partnered with a man named Adam who had profound developmental disabilities. And nobody in that community knew who Henry Nouwen was. Nobody knew about any of his books. Nobody cared that he was this amazing teacher and professor, beloved around the world. And yet it was only when he was paired with Adam that he could write the book, Adam, God's Beloved. And it wasn't so much about Adam as it was about Henry Nouwen for the first time experiencing the fullness of God's love in that place, in that new language, in that miraculous translation of the fluency of God's love in that very intimate and humble place. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. From the beginning of creation, the Spirit breathed life into all that God had made. And today, the Spirit breathes life into our worship and into our song. Let's stand and sing together. Holy Spirit, living breath of God.
to my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to For your purity, Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Holy Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all I do. seated. Just a few announcements for you all. For those of the children who made a spirit, will you raise it up so we can see them around you if you made a spirit? These aren't just for the children, this is for everybody in the life of the church that we want you to uh, join in this way this summer. There's some of these that are sitting out in the narthex. You can take one home with you, cut it out, color it yourself, or there's also some downstairs in Fellowship Hall. So afterwards, you can get some. And if you haven't colored something in a while, this is a great opportunity to to enjoy some artistic endeavors this morning after worship as we, as we join together with the Spirit all summer long in celebrating the community that God birthed here and in this. Also, I want to let you know that you see all the children around today. 
we would love to have some different teachers help out with our Sunday school classes this summer. So if you're not a regular Sunday school teacher, we need help in July and in August. And there's different places throughout the church that you can sign up. So grab a friend and sign up and uh, lead one of those classes during July and August, please. If you are not a regular Sunday school teacher, we'd love to have you help out in that. After Pentecost, the disciples gather together and they hear a word from God that they should share their possessions amongst one another. And we carry on in that tradition today of sharing our possessions together. That's what giving our tithes and offerings is about. That as we share our possessions, we also share in the mission and the calling that God has for us together as a church. So I invite you now to give through our tithes and offerings. And will the ushers please come forward to receive them. Join me in the prayers of the people. Let's pray together. 
creator, God, maker of all things. In the beginning, you created the heaven and the earth. In the fullness of time, you have restored all things in Christ. God as creator, we pray now that you would renew our world. We pray especially for creation, God, for the birds, the animals, the plants, all of life that you have filled to the brim in this world in which we live. God, you called us to be stewards of all of these things. And yet it seems like we fail almost on a daily basis as humans to steward these great gifts that you have given to us. The trajectory of these things seems to go poorly. God, teach us to love that which you have given to us to steward, to take care of. May animal life flourish, may plant life flourish, may human life flourish all together. May we find some way to live in accord with one another. God, you breathed life into the flesh that you created. And it is by your spirit that we continue to breathe now. And we ask that this breath would breathe a new life into the children of the earth. God, we pray that you would turn hatred into love, sorrow into joy, and war into peace. We pray for all the nations, God, as we heard in the story today that they were all gathered there together in that day of Pentecost. Lord, we pray that maybe that could be a sign for us that it is possible for persons who are diverse, persons from all over the world, could be gathered together in a way of peace and not war. God, we would pray for the United States of America. It seems like we are just numb to the daily reality of violence in our world. God, would you move us beyond that numbness and would your breath fill us and inspire in us a new way of life and generosity Help us be stewards, God, of all that you have given to us, especially our relationships with one another. Gracious God, lover of concord, you desire unity of all Christians. So set aflame the whole church with the fire of your spirit. Unite us to stand in the world as a sign of your love. Help us to find and emphasize our common ground, not our growing differences. Open our hearts and our minds to be as inclusive as Jesus was and how he remains to be so through the Spirit. Set aflame the church. God, may we remember our baptism today as we saw Riv be baptized. Would that reality be as fresh today as it was in that moment and in that time? That as we look upon any form of water, that we would remember our baptism in you, that you gave birth to new life in us through your spirit. So come Holy Spirit, come. Rain upon our dry and dusty lives. Wash away our sin, heal our wounded spirits, and kindle within us the fire of your love. Burn away our apathy. With your warmth, bend our rigidity and guide our wandering feet through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Will you rise now and body your spirit as we sing our final song this morning?
So think for a moment about where you will be going in the week ahead, where there might be places out of weariness or woundedness, you might want to be cocooned and receding, noticing where the spirit of God's love is moving you out across boundaries to speak in the mother tongue of others. And let's say this Ephesian scripture together. And now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.